Okay, hello guys, I brought my tissues and my water. Um, my spiritual gift is crying on cue. Um, you'll get to experience that. But uh, I really just wanted to thank you all for allowing us to be here. And that worship, I was so embarrassed that I was on the front row because I was just loud. <laughs> and um, it was just beautiful to worship with you all. The worship team uh, did a phenomenal, phenomenal job. And uh, I definitely felt the spirit. So thank you for ushering that in in such a beautiful way. Um, I don't know if this will encourage you or not, but women, I'll be at the women's conference. <laughs> That may be a deterrent, <laughs> but, but we'll have a blast. Um, so again, thank you. Yeah, we're excited to be here today. Um, you might have seen we have a table out there, so we'd love to connect with you if you want to receive our newsletter or get on our Facebook group and just be in touch and so you can know what we're up to all the time. Um, we post as frequently as we can, even though we're sensitive. And do I need, yeah, next slide, please. <laughs> uh, we want to start by telling you a little bit about us and who we are. First of all, what I just realized today is I really love this shirt. Uh, apparently, I, <laughs> apparently, I'm wearing it in our, in our prayer card, and I'm wearing it in the bulletin as well. So it's just a it's a common shirt. I'll try to I'll try to phase it out of our our pictures. <clears throat> yeah, but my wife says it works for my eyes, so that's the trick. Um, a little bit about me, I. I grew up from a, a broken home I, all over the Houston area. Um, essentially, a, I grew up atheist. I didn't believe in God or wanted anything to do with him if he existed. Um, my mother, when I was five years old, took me out of the house uh, when I was playing with my, my two brothers. Um, one was two years older, one's two years younger. And she took me out of the house one day, and we left, and we moved somewhere else. And she said, hey, we're gone, we're leaving. Um, and I realized that the... the man I was living with was not my father, but it was their father, but I was also a middle child. So I kind of did the math there pretty early, um, figured out I was a, a product of adultery. And I didn't meet my father until I, my biological father until I was about nine. Um, never really developed a relationship with him. Uh, my mom was an alcoholic um, and abused quite a few substances. Um, I love my mother. Uh, in her words, she did not know how to be a mother and just grew up broken, moved every year, more than once a year sometimes. I think I went to three schools in first grade. I didn't make very many friends growing up. I was very lonely. By the time I got into junior high and high school, I was just very depressed, um, had no direction for life, didn't really have any friends. Um, any, just about anything you can imagine might happen to a child. You can assume it happened to me at some point. And I just didn't believe that God existed. Um, like, why, Lord, why would this happen to me? Why would you allow me to grow up this way if you loved me? And when I was 15, my, um, my mother um, passed away from alcohol poisoning. And it left me to live with my stepfather because she remarried, who was an abusive man, or move in with my father who I didn't have a relationship with somewhere else. And so I figured the only win in this situation is that at this point in high school, I had somewhat stability in my life, and I had a few people that I began to call friends. So I said, I will live with this abusive man <laughs> and finish my time in, um, in high school. And I just kind of drifted through school with no direction. Um, nobody really cared, really. Um, nobody said anything. My, 
School didn't care much about me either. I was, I was kind of the person where no one really expected much from him. Uh, I expect, they expected me to be a statistic, probably, um, who ended up in the, in the jail system or something. And my stepfather dropped me off at college. I got into college by the skin of my teeth. My favorite teacher in high school taught criminal justice and psychology. So I said, if I get into college, I'm going to do that. And my um, SAT score was like 10 points higher than it needed to be. And so I said, okay, I guess I'll just do that. So I went to college. Um, in hindsight, it was definitely the Lord. I got a scholarship I didn't technically qualify for. And I said, okay, I guess I'll go to college. My stepfather dropped me off. And he said, I'll see you later. Didn't really see him again. Um, and I was just on my own. I didn't know anybody. And a man named Jordan found me. <laughs> and he, started, he just started following me around campus. And he said, hey, um, I thought that was our car for a second. Uh, uh, a man named Jordan found me. He said, hey, you need to come to this thing called Chi Alpha. Like, you need to come to my small group, come to this thing called Chi Alpha. And I said, no, I, got, like, I can't do that. I got, like, a lab at that time. Like, you know, that, I just can't do it. And eventually the lab ended. So I, I ran out of legitimate excuses. But I started hanging out with this man named Jordan and um, made some new friends in this community. And it was probably, like, the most unlikely group of people that you would ever expect to be friends. But... What we realized was the Lord um, solidified our friendship, and we had a relationship in the Lord. And the, the Lord kind of developed um, the thesis of what we believe about missions is that the Lord revealed himself to me through the way another person loved me. And that we believe that's the plan of the Lord is revealing himself through other people. And the way that Jordan loved me revealed to me the way that God loved me. And it changed my heart. It didn't happen overnight, but I began this relationship with the Lord, and he really spoke into my life, and I just accepted him as my Savior. And, yeah, from there, I met my wife, who has a different background, but she has a great story. So <clears throat> almost as completely opposite of Daniel as you can imagine is how I grew up. Does anybody know where East Bernard is? Like, you spit, and it's almost there. That's where I grew up. <laughs> and um, it's a very small community. My father was one of the principals of the school. So I had a very, a very sheltered, a very, uh, I, don't, I don't know a better way to say that, but that's how I grew up. And um, we literally had a white picket fence. And it was an idyllic childhood. I, I learned a lot about the safety of living in America, and I craved it, I loved it. I went into the, I wanted to go into the family business, which is teaching. You didn't know it was a family business, but it is when your dad's a principal and your mom's a teacher, and so is your aunt and your other aunt and your uncle. And So from a very young age, I was, I think my first word might have been bearcat. <laughs> I knew, I knew I wanted to go to Sam Houston. And, um, but about my, so I, I knew I wanted to go to Sam. I did not get in by the skin of my teeth. I hate when he says that because <laughs> it makes him sound unintelligent when he is quite brilliant. Um, caveat, I'm sorry. Love my husband. So growing up, um, before the Lord had prepared me to go into college, um, I thought that I knew God, and I thought that I knew everything I needed to know about God. I was raised in a church. I won't tell you which one. Leave some mystery. And um, 
I was raised and taught to fear God, that, that, that you fear God, you fear hell, and if you're not good, that's where you're going to go. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. And so God was this big man in the sky, and I was terrified that if I thought something bad or if I was rude to someone, that I was going to end up in hell and be separated. So my whole existence, my reason for, for knowing God, it, I couldn't even call it love, was because I was afraid of hell. And for those of us now who have a deep relationship with the Lord in our soul and that we, we cling to him in our time of need, we know how, how wrong that is. And so I came into college thinking I had everything that I needed. I just needed a husband and a degree, and that would be it. They thought it was funny. <laughs> He's like, don't say that. Um, and then I met this woman named Katie. And Katie... Uh, For lack of a better term, Katie loved the fear of hell right out of me. And she showed me through discipleship and she showed me through love, through just living her life intentionally with me, that Jesus is tangible, that he he didn't die and leave, but he's with us now. And my soul longed for what she had. And I was like, if it's between the God of my parents and your God, I want your people to be my people. That's what I want. And so I, at the age of 20, and I'm not going to tell you how old I am now, but it was about a decade ago, accepted Christ. And I started devouring scripture and I wanted to get to know this King, this Lord. And so I started going to Chi Alpha and Chi Alpha is the university ministry um, through the assemblies of God. Our lead pastor, Eli Gotro was here a few weeks ago. And I was like, oh, I feel like I'm in college again. But um, learning to love God and being discipled, that was the catalyst for me to pray and start seeking a missional life, asking the Lord what he would have for me. And we begin to hear this word calling a lot. And since I was a teacher, I looked up the Webster Dictionary for you, and it says a strong urge toward a particular way of life. You went to a strong urge to a particular way of life or a career. And so that was something that we wanted to do. We wanted to have a strong urge towards doing what the Lord would call us to do. So we started seeking his calling in our lives. If you'll go to the next slide, please. So this is what we call um, an ism. (laughs) It's one of those things that we were taught that we kind of started to cling to and live by. And it says, God does not call the equipped, but he equips the called. And how hubristic that we thought of us to think, I'm going to go somewhere and tell people about Jesus, and it's going to be great. And then the enemy starts to sneak in like he does, and you start to think, I can't do that. And I I don't know, I don't speak any other languages, and people don't want to hear from me, and I'm just a girl from a small town or a boy who grew up hating God. But that's how big the love of the Lord is, that it covers that multitude. And so we are not called because we're special. The Lord he called us and then he equipped us to go out. So this is us, the Lord equipping us to go out. This is Pastor Jason, the Lord equipping him and calling to come here. But it doesn't stop there. Beloved, that's for us all. We are all called, and the Lord equips us for exactly where he has set your two feet, whether that's your neighborhood, for the people that live next to you, the youth, for the people that you work with. That is who the Lord is equipping you to go out to, and you are well-equipped because he is a good God. Next slide, please. Forget that it's in front of me. Um, So today we're going to be going into the book of Numbers. And I really love it when, you know, we're missionaries, and usually we go and we we preach, we 
tend to talk about missions. And I love it when the Lord takes us back to the Old Testament and reveals how he's always been a missional God. And he's always had a plan and a purpose for what he's been doing. Um, But before we dive in, let's quickly pray. Um, Lord, we ask that you will reveal to us simple truths, Father, that you have throughout your whole Bible. Lord, we ask that you will open our eyes to what you're you're telling us today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, um, in Numbers 13, to give a little context, it actually goes along with what uh, Pastor Jason was reading from earlier a little bit, how uh, the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt for quite a few years, and the Lord led them out, and he made it very obvious that it was him and it was through all the miraculous events. And he said, I am God. You're going to know. The sea is going to part. Like, there's no way you know, like, you got out of this place. You know it was through me. And he took them through the desert and with full intent of saying, and bringing them to this land. And it picks up here. Verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, everyone a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of the men who were heads of the people of Israel. So we believe that the Lord does things with a purpose. Um, it's a simple truth. Of course, in our brains we say, yeah, obviously, like he's God, he has a reason for doing things. But sometimes we forget in our day-to-day lives, and we maybe we'll read things in the Bible and we say, well, what's the purpose of that? And, you know, it's a random thing that happened. But the Lord does things with a purpose. And with all of our biblical knowledge, we can see now, having the whole Old Testament and the New Testament, we can see how the Lord was preparing this land for his people, who he had a specific plan for, giving them the law, all the way up to leading up to the coming of the Messiah, he had a specific plan for what he was doing. And we don't believe the Lord changes. So the Lord here put a specific calling on his people, and he had a plan and a purpose for the advancement of his kingdom in what he was doing. To parallel, we also have Jesus and the coming of Jesus and his crucifixion and his rising again three days later. And before he leaves, he turns to his disciples and gives them the Great Commission. And he says, go out into every nation and preach this gospel, and then the end will come. And it wasn't like this offhand remark. He was saying, like, oh, yeah, this would be a good idea if you did this. Like, you know, do your best, and I'm going to come back at some point. But he was saying, this is a commandment. He's saying, do this and preach the gospel to every nation, to every tribe, every people group, and then the end will come. So we see Jesus here putting a specific calling on his people with a plan and a purpose for the advancement of his kingdom. So we believe it's very direct what Jesus, Jesus is calling us to do. Um, he commands us to go and make disciples of all nations. And in this general calling of the Great Commission, often he gives us our own individual calling and how we take place in that. We got our calling at what's called the World Mission Summit. Next slide, please. And... That's where Kenzie and I received our official calling of what the Lord's called us to do. Yes. Um, I love this picture. This is a quite young version of myself. Um, 
And as I told you, my spiritual gift is crying on cue, and there it is. Um, we had just so the World Mission Summit. If you've never heard of it, it is a partnership between Chi Alpha and the Assemblies of God World Missions. And the idea is to promote missions and showcase the needs that are around the world. So all college students are invited to attend. I mean, you guys could go. It's going to happen in January of 2021. Uh, and missionaries from all over the world. So uh, from Latin America, all throughout the states, in the entire 1040 window, Russia, China, everywhere, people are coming. And um, we were entering our, or nearing our post-college life. Daniel had just graduated the year before, and I was going to be graduating soon. And I had given my heart over to the Lord, but I still thought I was going to be a teacher, and I still thought my life was going to look like the lives of of my, my family before me, that we were going to be teachers perhaps somewhere. And Daniel had given me the idea of maybe the Lord's calling us into missions. I was like, that would be so much fun. You'd be a missionary and I'd be a teacher. I would love that. And Daniel was like, I don't know if she gets it. So I wonder which one of us is more hard-headed. And, um, and we had gone to the World Mission Summit, and Daniel was sitting with, with the men that he discipled and had discipled him, and I was sitting with the women who I had discipled and who had discipled me. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just fell, and it was, it was this tangible, like you could, you could feel, uh, it was the thinness of the Holy Spirit in the place. And um, I think just so many of us just started speaking in tongues and feeling the, the Holy Spirit move on our hearts, and chains were broken, and it was absolutely beautiful. And all of a sudden, my idea of what my future was crumbled before me, and the Lord was like, Beloved, I am not demanding that you do this, but I am inviting you to come be the hands and feet of the Great Commission. And I was like, yes, Lord. Oh, my gosh, yes. And he was like, in the Middle East. And I was like, ooh. Well, my parents aren't going to like that. (laughs) Which made me a little more excited. I'm not going to lie to you. And then I started realizing, oh my gosh, my husband, like this man that I want to marry, we're not engaged yet at that point. And I remember thinking that I was going to lose him, that the Lord was calling me to the Middle East, and I didn't know exactly what he was calling Daniel to do. Um, And this picture solidified later when they posted this, and we'd seen this, and Daniel and I had gotten to talk. Um, This is me, like extending my hand. I had written my name down, and I was walking up to the bucket right there that said Middle East. (laughs) And I was like, maybe it'll be Lebanon. Like, who knows? And and saying, like, Lord, wherever it is, like, I'm I'm willing to put everything at the foot of the cross. And... um, And me putting my name in that bucket was the equivalent of getting on the plane to go in my mind. And uh, we didn't know it then. And you can't really tell, but there's the girl in the striped shirt. And then right next to him, you you see a man uh, writing his name in a gray sweater. And that was Daniel. And we didn't know that, but at the exact same time, Daniel was calling him. And and Daniel was was um, writing down his name to do what the Lord had called him to do as well. I was a little jumbled, but it was, it was through this that we always reminded ourselves when we were on the field or when we were raising our funds to get there the first time, and it was overwhelming, and I just thought, we're doing something wrong. We shouldn't go. We were wrong. We heard incorrectly. Daniel would be able to remind me or I him, no, the Lord has called us, and he's called us individually, and it's not like Daniel's the missionary, and he drug me kicking and screaming to the Middle East. I'd like to see you try. <laughs> Um, but it was the Lord calling both of us and giving us that, that desire and that calling and the, the truth of knowing. Amen. Uh, next slide, please. 
So we'll pick up at verse 17. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up into the Negev and go up into the hill country and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. So once we understand calling on our lives, the next step is to be obedient to that calling. And we see here that the Lord told Moses what to do, and Moses immediately said, okay. And then he picked the guys, and the guys said, okay, let's go. And they didn't necessarily know what they were getting into. Um, That's usually what happens. Uh, So they probably have this idea that some some of us have occasionally where we get a, uh, a word from the Lord and a calling and we say, okay, well, the Lord told me to do it, so it's probably going to be easy. And it's not always the case. To spoil the story a little bit, it didn't turn out um, the way that they thought it was going to turn out. And yeah, just because the Lord calls us to do something doesn't mean it's necessarily easy. Right. How much would we need faith if everything was easy, the the Lord, if we if we did things that were easy and we we just say, oh, we did that in our own strength, and the Lord would not get any of the glory. Often the Lord calls us to do things that are very difficult and out of our comfort zones, and it's not it most of the time it's not what we expect it to be. I know people who were called to be pastors, and they're like, yeah, I'm going to go out and do this like you know awesome church plant in Houston, and it's going to be great. And the Lord's like, no, I actually call you out to this like tiny little town out west and there's like 30 people and they kicked out the pastor and you're next and like just go for it and yeah it's like you don't what's the Lord calling you to do um it's not necessarily going to be easy or what you expect obedience is a choice um and sorry I wasn't ready (laughs) but obedience is a choice uh we have a choice to obey the Lord and he he expects us to be obedient um, many times in overseas missions, we have the same issue where we say the Lord's called us, like, and all, all the time we have this romantic vision of missions, and we say the Lord called us to this place. It's going to be easy. We're going to go in, and we're going to wreck it, you know, and people are going to come to the Lord in waves, and then we get there, and it's like, this is, this is rough. Um, things aren't easy, but it's our responsibility to be obedient. Next slide, please. So this is another one of those isms that I highly encourage you to remember or write down, um, if for nothing, nothing else, to like use it against your kids. But that ob- <laughs> obedience is doing what you're told, when you're told, without delay. Mm. <laughs> I love obedience. Um, in my spiritual walk, and not just my spiritual walk, just like my life in general, some of you know me um, a little bit. And I mean, if you had to guess if you thought that obedience came naturally to me or not, um, it doesn't. <laughs> and uh, a wonderful woman of God told me, told me this quote. She said, Mackenzie, I was like, yes. Obedience is doing what you're told. I was like, I knew that. When you're told, hmm, without delay. I was like, stop talking. And it was one of those things that she would just kind of look at me and she would mouth obedience when there was something that was going on. And I feel like for an entire season of my life, this is what the Lord was trying to teach me. And I'm still getting there. Um, Because even in ministry, 
it's difficult, even in something that you're called to do, even in something that the Lord has equipped you to do, we don't always want to obey. It's difficult to obey, or it's ugly, or it's not glamorous. And, um, and the Lord told me, he said, Beloved, anything less than obedience is, dis- is disobedience. And even when it's delayed obedience, it's still disobedience. And this is one of those things that, and I don't want to make it sound like, you know, our work is the most important thing in the world, although that's what we really feel like the Lord has called us to do, and it is. But there, we can't afford to be disobedient, not blatantly so. There are too many lost here in Richmond, Rosenberg, Sugarland, Houston, all over the world. There are too many lost for us to waste time being disobedient. The beautiful thing is, is that after we decide to be obedient, because like Daniel had said, it is a choice, there's something really, really beautiful that follows, and it's fruit. Um, If you could go to the next slide, you got it. Uh, My vision is really bad, so I'm going to do this. So it says, uh, and they came to the valley of Eshkol and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between the two of them, and they also brought some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster that the people of Israel cut down from there. At the end of the 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. What I love about this is following their calling, following their equipping, following their obedience came this fruit. And what's beautiful, because God doesn't change, you can expect that same thing in your life. Now, I wish, oh, beloved, do I wish, that we could carry our fruit in here to show you. That we could just parade in front of you all of the beautiful souls that the Lord has been able to touch. Not because we're glorious by any stretch of the imagination, but because we were obedient to what the Lord has told us to do. So since I can't carry my beautiful fruit in here, what I'll do instead is tell you a very, very quick story. Um, There's a woman, and her name doesn't matter, but... uh, she had been someone that the, t- the people who had come before us, because the beautiful thing is we are not, thank you, Jesus, the first workers to go into the Middle East. We are standing on the shoulders of giants when we go there. And we are able to walk in and plant seeds because people came before us to pick up the stones. And so this, this woman, there's a lot of stones in her garden, and it was so difficult to be able to, to share the Lord with her. She didn't want to have a lot about Jesus. And she was a strict stringent Muslim woman. She was very unhappy. She was only about five years, uh, no, about ten years older than me, and she had nine children and was just in an unhappy marriage, not doing what she wanted to do with life, and she thought that was it. And so a little American girl coming in with a big old smile and really bad Arabic was not something that was encouraging to her, and she just didn't think we could relate in any way. So sowing seeds with her was difficult, but she had heard the stories from the gospel from other people who had come before me, and I was just blessed enough to get to pick that fruit. So her sister's son... um, and it was the, he was the only son of, I think, about another 10 to 11 children. He was the only son. And in the Middle East, that's a really big deal. And he had diabetes, and it had gotten worse and worse, and they, couldn't, uh, they didn't have enough money to buy the best kind of food for him to be ingesting. They didn't have the money to buy his, his medicine. They were refugees. The government wasn't helping. And the, the, their one son, her namesake, 
looked as if he was going to die. And so this is uh, my friend that I've been uh, loving. This is her sister, so she's very distraught. It's her sister, it's her nephew, and she was like, so what should we do? What's going to happen? What would you do? What do you think is right? And then you kind of think, I know you're mad, but this is what I've been praying for, that there would be an opportunity. And so I would pray in Jesus' name. Let's do that right now. Actually, let's read a story from the gospel of the mighty things that our king has done, and then let's pray together. And miraculously, she allowed that to happen. And we thought that was the miracle. (laughs) Oh, we of little faith. We thought that was the miracle, that she was willing to pray in Jesus' name and that she was willing to... um, accept a gospel, even though she hadn't accepted Jesus in her heart. And the next day, she was walking through and the, her little neighborhood, and there was a church behind these big iron gates, not very open, not very welcoming. And there was, there was singing, and there was worship going on, and she stopped outside of the gates, and she was looking in, and she had remembered, because the Lord is good, the prayers that we had prayed and the stories that she had heard. And on her own without any influence from anyone else, in her hijab, standing on the streets, she prayed in Jesus' name for her nephew to be healed. She prayed for his life to be spared, and she prayed for something miraculous to happen. A few days later, her sister calls her, and she tells her, oh, he's doing so much better. He's still in the hospital, but he's doing so much better. We cannot explain it. And then a week later, when we came to visit, she practically pulled us into her house. She goes, he's better. He's home. He's healed. He doesn't need medicine. Everything's fine. Jesus did it. And we, amen, yes, yes, rejoice. Yes. And it was one of those moments where I am ashamed of how shocked I was that a miracle took place. That we as Christians should be ready, we should be willing. Be like, yeah, I'm not surprised, we serve a good God. And it was that story that I felt like I learned a lot from her in that sense. Um, but... Sometimes fruit comes in unexpected ways, and we have another story we'd like to share with you. Yeah, next slide, please. Like we said, the Lord has a plan and a purpose, and we're not always privy to that information. But we know he uses us, and not in the ways we always expect. Um, We struggled with infertility for quite a few years, and about a year into our term, um, we found out we were pregnant, and it was a miracle, like, it was definitely a miracle from the Lord. And people, our friends, our air friends knew that we were struggling with infertility. Um, and so we used it as a, a conversation point to, to talk about Jesus. And we'd always say, like, you know, this baby's a, he's a, she's a miracle. And, and like, anyone who would listen, like, we get in a cab and we tell the guy, like, yeah, this is a miracle baby. Like, do you still believe Jesus does miracles? And he's like, what do you mean Jesus still does miracles? And because they believe in Jesus, and they he did miracles. They just don't believe he's the son of God, and they don't believe he was crucified. And so we boast about what the Lord does, did and giving us this baby. And she was perfect. Um, we named her Lily after the verse in Matthew about having the, uh, wanting for nothing and being anxious for nothing and how the lilies of the valley, you know, they're twirling their spin. And we just named her Lily, and we said, this is our miracle baby. And we were amazed by the amount of fruit that um, this baby who wasn't even born yet, all the fruit that was coming from it and how the Lord was using her. And when Mackenzie was about 34 weeks, uh, she began developing high blood pressure. And we went to the doctor um, quite a few times, and he said, okay, everything's okay. Um, it came to when she was about... <laughs> You're fine, babe. When she was about 38 weeks, and we went in on a Saturday, uh, and 
the doctor said, you know what, just come in Tuesday, and we're going to take the baby. Like, she's fine, everything's fine, just come in Tuesday, give her those last few days. And in that time, we made a very important decision about our future and where the Lord is calling us. But we said, no, Lord, if this is what you're calling us to do, we lay it down at your feet, we dedicate our baby to you, and we trust you, Lord. And we went in on Tuesday, and the doctor said, well, I can't, we can't find a heartbeat. And we went, we went straight to the hospital, had to induce, and uh, as Lily was born, um, we got to spend a little bit of time with her. And they determined that uh, she had passed about two days ago when we made the decision. Um, but and it was one of those moments where we in the field where we thought, we thought surely Lord this is like your time to perform this this great miracle of you know everybody sees what's happening and you're going to show up and our baby's going to come out fully fine and we're going to you know everybody's going to praise you and you're going to have a moment of your glory where people get to see your healing power and the Lord was silent and we didn't understand it we were we were hurt, we were angry, um, but we had this resolve from when it happened that um, we trust the Lord and we're going to stay on the field. We're going to continue doing what we're doing because of the uh, majority religion's beliefs. They don't believe in cremation or embalming. So we had to have the funeral the next day and we went out to a field and we buried our baby at the end. We had to stand up in front of our team um, and just tell them that we're not stepping down. And we trust in the Lord and what he's called us to do, even when it's hard. And we didn't see how the Lord could use something like this for his glory. And we don't understand the way the Lord works all the time. How can the Lord use this story to glorify himself? And, and giving us this miracle child and then taking her away. And sure enough, the Lord used it through our interactions with our friends, and we had what's called an aza, where we have to sit in our house for two days and have people come to our house and sit with us and mourn. It's very difficult. And the Lord began opening doors in, in people's hearts that we have been trying to open for years in this, in this time. And people in our house sitting in our living room mourning with us, I probably heard the gospel for the first time in a way that made sense to them because of what happened. And Kenzie has another story on that. Um, actually, I'm going to say something a little different because we are a little short on time. Um, one thing that Daniel and I were, were really worried about when we accepted the call, and we knew that the Lord would equip us because the Lord is faithful, and he'd equipped us to do everything else in our lives thus far. Um, even with our combined testimony of what the Lord has done in our lives, how, how are we going to reach these people? And the Lord would always say, Beloved, do you trust me? I was like, Absolutely, Jesus. He was like, Well, I will make a way. And I remember I remember speaking with a friend of mine who hadn't heard uh, she was a, not a very close acquaintance and she hadn't she knew that you know I wasn't pregnant anymore but she didn't see me with my baby and um, she had she like where's your daughter where where is this miracle where is Mawajaze and uh, which is not her name but that's what you know they'd come to call him and it was just one of those moments where I just started crying and this woman had also lost a lot in her life and I remember telling her the story of what was going on just through tears and she just looked at me and she just started crying and she was like okay 
And she just kind of walked away, and the Lord said, this is how, beloved. And it hurts so much, but this is how. Because we're not the only ones who knows that sound of dirt hitting a casket. We're not the only ones that have put all of our treasure into the earth and walked away. Many of you have probably experienced something similar. And the Lord said, this is how my glory will come. This is another way. And it hurts so deeply. But your daughter, every time you say her name, it's still a prayer. It's still Thanksgiving, and she's still a miracle. Let's get into our last portion of scripture. Um, I think we're running out of time here. So pick up in verse 26. They brought back word to them and all, to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, we came to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. So what happened here is that they actually confirmed um, what they had expected. The land is, is great. It's flowing with milk and honey. Here's the fruit. The fruit's great. We don't want to go there. <laughs> Uh, like, oh, we don't know. If, I don't know if we can do it. I mean, it looks dangerous. It looks dangerous. Um, and there was this lack of faith that the Lord would do what he said he was going to do. But what does Caleb say in the next verse? Verse 30, Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take the possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. And they said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. So we just spent two years in the the Arab world. We saw a lot of the area. And we came back with this report that the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. We Often what we see is through the media or what politicians tell us. And it's not a reliable source. You're going to hear the bad things. You're not going to hear about all of the great things the Lord is doing over there. You're not going to hear about all these stories that we've experienced. There's a lot happening, and the harvest is plentiful. There aren't enough people. We see a great opportunity to bring the gospel to people who don't have much hope right now. Oftentimes when we tell people this, that this report, it's met with this fear and unease. It's dangerous. Like Obviously, there's a war happening right now. Um, the same way that the 10 spies reported through this lens of fear, it's the world. It can be reflected as the world's view on missions today, especially in the Arab world. But the Lord's called us to do it. Something to quote Dick Brogdon, he says, "Why is it that we are willing to send our son and sons and daughters overseas to die and fight for our country, but we're not willing to send them to go fight for the gospel? Why is it? Why do we say?" When we think of the Arab world, how the cities are walled, they don't want us there. They don't want us there, and we don't want to go there. They hate us. But the Lord has delivered the land into our hands. As the Lord sent out the twelve, he had a plan for them. He had a purpose and a plan. He sent them to execute it. It was already done. He promised them the land. If we go back and look at verse 2, he actually says, send them to the land which I am giving to the people of Israel. Amen. He's not saying, I'm thinking about giving to them. He said, I'm giving them the land. And they didn't have faith in that. So as followers of Jesus, we must stand firm and do our part in fulfilling this great commission.
And quickly, one of the things, um, because we want to be respectful of your time, although Angela did say I could go to 1, to 4, to midnight, <laughs> I'm just going to say that I won't. Um, but people always ask, what is your greatest need? And those are the best questions because I'm like, that person's ready. <laughs> They're ripe. And so uh, I just want to give you this. Oh, could you go to the next slide, please? I want to give you this quote from John Piper. It's an easy one. It says, go, send, or disobey. <laughs> I really love obedience. And so um, I love this quote from John Piper just because it's, it's very clear that if you're not able to go, then you can send. And if you're not able to go, but you're able to send and you don't do either, or you're not able to send, but you're able to go and you don't, then it's disobedience. Even if you delay it for 30 years, it's disobedience. And so um, I don't want to just shamelessly stand up here and beg you for money. That's not what this is. I want to give you an opportunity. I want to invite you into the folds of what's happening, not just in the Middle East, not just what the Lord has done in our lives, although we've, we've been able to tell you about that fruit, but of what we know is coming. I've read the whole Bible. I've gotten to Revelation. We, we see the promises of the King, and we know what is to come. Beloved, do you want to be a part of it? Do you want to come with us? Do you want your lineage to be amongst Arabs? Do you want, when you come into the king, into glory with the king, to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, not necessarily because your feet were in the desert, but because your pocketbooks were and your prayers were, and you sent those out. If it's sending someone else somewhere else, do it. Be a part of it. Because there are too many lost for us to pick and choose and for us to disobey. So our job is to plant the whole tr- the to plant the church, um, the whole church to take the whole gospel to the whole world, and we want to partner with you. We want you to partner with us and join us in doing that. So um, most of the Israelites did not trust in the Lord's grand plan to hand the land over to them, but we have the assurance of the grand plan of God, and we have these encouraging words from our King. The next slide, please. To finish out on this thought. We talked about earlier how Jesus gave us the Great Commission, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The worship team will come up. So Jesus came with a plan and a purpose, and he left us with a mission. So if we look at the end of this story, um, after they came back and they gave this report, and two people gave the accurate report, of having faith in the Lord and saying, we can surely do it. And the Lord, what happened after they, with their lack of faith? The Lord caused them to wander in the desert for for like 40 more years. The whole generation of people that did not see the promised land. And we see a parallel here. They lacked the faith of doing what the Lord called them to do. The Lord had it ready. It was delivered into their hands. He was giving them the land. The Lord's giving us the nations. He said, ask and I will give you the nations. He has it. It's prepared for us. And even though it's hard, it's not going to be easy, but the Lord has prepared the way. May we have an accurate vision of the Great Commission. May we see how daunting it actually is. Can we say that if... We think that we are, if we're satisfied with the amount that we pray, it means we're not praying enough. And if we're satisfied 
with the amount that we give, it means we're not giving enough. Even if we're not capable of giving more, we should always desire to give more. Say, Lord, I recognize the task is, to, is so great, but I'm not able to do it. May we see how much we need faith to accomplish the whole great commission because we can't do it on our own power. Can we have a, a quick prayer and then I want to invite you to come and respond. Lord, would you give us a correct vision of what you've called us to do? Lord, may you give us a realistic vision of how great this mission is. Lord, will you show us how much more we need to pray? Lord, will you reveal to us the, the millions of souls that cry out to you who need help? Lord, who don't know you. Would you reveal to us the millions of souls just in our area, Lord, who don't know you? Would you reveal to us the need of how much we can't cover the amount of prayer that needs to be done? Lord, would you reveal to us how much is not being funded, Lord? Would you reveal to us how many budgets need to be raised, how many projects need finances, Lord? And would you reveal to us how we cannot do it? There's not enough funds in our bank, but Lord, we have to have faith that you will provide it. Lord, would you reveal to us we can't do it in our own power? Would you give us faith to do what you called us to do? Lord Jesus, Jesus, would you reveal the need for workers, how the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, how we may have so many so many missionaries in our district going out and say, we say, Lord, there's so many, that's great, but you, would you reveal to us that it's not enough? Lord, would you give us a proper heart with our finances, Lord, when people come to ask us for money, we don't say, ah, people keep asking me for money and they, all they want is my money, would, Lord, would you instead give us a heart that says, Lord, I wish I could give all these people money but I can't. Lord, would you make a way for us to fund all these projects? Lord, are you calling me to go? Lord, are you calling me to dig deeper and give more? Lord, are you calling me to expand the time? I pray, Lord. Jesus, search our hearts and reveal to us. In Jesus' name, amen.